0: Good morning, if you're new, my name's Ryan, and we're in a series called Encounter. Uh, We said last week this, that there's moments in your life, moments that happen that change your life forever. For some, it's the birth of a child. For some, it's the loss of a loved one others it was that that word of encouragement that changed the very trajectory of your life for some it was that spark of love who we are is deeply shaped by the encounters that we have and built in hardwired is a deep longing inside every single one of us to have a life-changing encounter with the God of the universe. Because, Because you were made, I was made, in the very image of God. And so our longing, our desire, our hunger, there's things about life that are left unanswered, longings that are unmet until we have truly, deeply encountered God. Now, the problem is, is oftentimes many of us don't have a clue about how in the world do we go about encountering God. How do we truly experience the God of the universe? How do we encounter God in such a way that, that it not only fulfills the deep longing of our soul, but propels us in the purpose of our lives um a couple of weeks ago, I went to go plug in my phone for the night. And as I plugged it in, set it on my bedside table, went to sleep, woke up in the morning, it's completely dead. Uh, I'm no Sherlock, but I figured out what happened. In my investigation, I realized that though my phone was plugged in, the base was not plugged into the wall. My phone was plugged in, but it really wasn't plugged in. I think sometimes when we're talking about encounter, that's where many of us feel with God, that we're kind of doing, quote, the right things, if you will. Maybe you've done the church thing. Maybe you've prayed. Maybe you're like, okay, I'm even going to like serve or get in a s- smaller group. And and yet you're plugged in. But the reality is, is you're not really plugged in. You still feel distant. You still feel disconnected. You feel dissatisfied. And could it be that it's not that you're not doing the right things or even that those things are wrong? Could it be that those activities, though plugged in, aren't connected to the very source of power that changes life? And as we're going to discover, as we read through Isaiah's encounter with God, that there's three critical elements to experiencing encountering God that literally plug you into the source of who he is and to his power. In fact, if you think about it, that there's two prongs, if you ever uh, looked at it, that are, when connected, they connect the circuit and connect the power. And then there's a third one that really grounds the whole thing, and this Morning. We're going to talk about those two prongs that I believe, if you will allow, God will meet you in such a deep and meaningful way, perhaps in a, t- in a way that you have never experienced before. And then next week, we're going to talk about that third grounding prong that will really direct the course of your life. And so, if you got your Bibles, if you would open them up to Isaiah, he's a prophet in the Old Testament, biggest book. Uh, of uh, Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah describes his encounter with God this way. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. These were Angelic beings, and the word literally means burning ones. These were brilliant, burning beings in the presence of God. Each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying, and they were calling out one to another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. Fundamentally, it is God who is encountering us, not we who is encountering God. One of the primary reasons that we do not encounter God is we come to God on our own terms. We long for control. We long to determine the why and the when, the what, and the how. And it is this longing and this need for control that keeps us deeply disconnected from God. I'd like to argue that we often try to encounter God like a lion in the zoo. I love lions. I still do. Um, As a kid, my nickname was literally Ryan the Lion. (laughs) And everywhere I went, I, I, I literally, I, I roared. I mean, I won't do it for you now because it would scare you. It's so good. <laughs> but it did. Everywhere I went, I roared. I remember the only time I was allowed to trick or treat, my mom made for me a lion costume, and it was like the best day of my life. You know, not only did I get a trick or treat, but I was a lion. I was Ryan the lion. Lions are amazing creatures, aren't they? I mean, beautiful, powerful, strong, mighty, fierce. I mean, they're the king of the jungle. Uh, the other day, my, uh, my family were at an attraction, and there was a mountain lion exhibit, and there was these glass walls. And my son starts to hit the glass wall because the mountain lion's sleeping. And I go, doo do, do stop! I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, Dad, I wanted to see it do something. <laughs> That's fair enough. At a six-year-old perspective, that is fair enough. Zoos are amazing places, right? You go and get to see the wildlife, you get to see creation, you get to see this magnificent, bold, incredibly powerful beast from the safety behind the glass wall. You get to observe, and yet there is no fear for your life. Much of the way I think we try to encounter God is like a lion in the zoo. We want to see him, but we do not want to fear him. We want to see him. But we do not want to be moved by him or changed by him. We want to observe, yes, God is powerful. Yes, God is great. And yes, I'll pray the prayers. But do not make me change my life. I want to observe you and yet be safe behind the glass wall. And I'd like to suggest... That if you search the scriptures, that encountering God is much more like encountering a lion in the wild. Every single encounter through scripture, you'll notice that it is not safe. And everyone who encounters God always responds to him. And his encounter. Encountering God is like encountering a lion in the wild, unrestrained, untamed, powerful, majestic, fierce. When Isaiah encountered God, he looked up and saw God for who he really is. So oftentimes, we want a God or want to see God the way we want him to be, not as he truly is. We bring him down to our level, make him small enough, just big enough to feel safe, but small enough not to change. Notice what Isaiah saw when he saw God. He, he saw God seated on a throne. Now, we talked about last week, about in the year that King Uzziah died, and one of the deep longings and needs for Isaiah was the great king, good king of Israel, died, political uncertainty, friend, mentor, all the rest. And what does God reveal himself to, Isaiah? That he, though a great king has died, the greatest king is still on the throne that he's not fretting over life's circumstances he's not afraid of what happened he's not in fear that the next leader is actually evil and not a good king and that israel's already experiencing the effects of it god's seated in control on the throne high and exalted that's his place, by the way. His position in the universe is high and exalted. King. God. He, he's the center of the universe. He is the preeminent one, the first of all beings, the, the one who, who never had a beginning He's the one who holds and sustains all that there is. He is the high and exalted king of the universe, seated in control. By the way, the only time we see God ever stand in Scripture is to welcome one of his martyred ones home. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, now in those days, a train or the length of a train signified the uh, extent of a king's dominion and power. And what God's revealing in this moment to Isaiah is I am all powerful. The length of my train fills the earth. There is not a place upon which my dominion and control does not exist. I am the all-powerful, almighty, all-good, king, wise, God, high, and holy. And one of the seraphs flew to, think of this, perfect, angelic beings in the presence of God, day and night declaring his holiness. So much so, God is so holy that they dare not even look at him. With two wings, they cover their face. so They can't even take in who God is. And with two, they cover their feet in humble servitude, and they cry out one to another, holy, holy, holy. word literally means completely other or set apart. In the Hebrew language, they're, uh, they don't have the good, better, best. The way the literary tool they use is repetition for this. And so when the angels cry out, holy, 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 it's declaring God's infinite holiness, that he is, he dwells an inapproachable light. He is holy. He is completely other and perfect. There is none like him. You can't even comprehend it. I can't comprehend him because his holiness is so far beyond us. It says that the whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, when you think about God, what comes to mind? I mean, when you think about God, to encounter God, you have to first look up and see God for who he really is. All powerful, all knowing, all wise, all good. That he is the center of the universe. There is none like him. That with a word he spoke and everything came into existence. And that he is completely and utterly holy. That he is a lion in the wild. Untamed, unrestrained. You know, when you encounter God... the only response is to get really low. Like when you truly encounter God, the only response is to just go, oh, low. I had a buddy that went up a few years ago to uh, climb Half Dome. And he was telling me about the experience. I I, I hate heights, I wouldn't do it. So I have to be told about these things. But he's telling me about, you know, how beautiful and how majestic and how how breathtaking it is, the landscape before. And he's explaining... This process, as he's coming, you know, climbed up and he's coming to the edge. And he says, you know, Ryan, as I get closer and closer to the edge, I got lower and lower. Instinctively, I knew. And so by the time I got to the edge, just to peer over the edge of Half Dome, I was completely flat on my belly. That's what it's like to encounter God. See when you truly encounter and see God for who he is in all of his majesty and all of his glory, not behind a glass wall, so that you can somehow go, you know what, hey God, you're great, awesome, but I don't have to adjust to you. But when you encounter him in the wild and you're like, Whoa is me. See a lion in the wild, you don't ask to adjust to you, do you? You don't bang and you don't yell. You don't ask it to do a trick. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. See, a lion in the wild. Not only are you completely powerless, you're at its mercy and will. See, the only proper response in the presence of God is to look in and see ourselves as we truly are. To look in and begin to realize, not in light of everyone else, not in light of how the world's going, not in light of what my friends are doing, but in light of who God is, who am I really? See, God's holiness is this. This is so amazing. When you encounter God's holiness, it acts like an x-ray machine to your soul. It's one of those things that shines this light on the broken, hurting places of your life that honestly you've been trying to hide. Honestly, you've been trying to keep from public eye and from others that we put on the good face and we simply compare. We just compare compared to others, to somehow make ourselves feel a little bit better about who we are, and yet we eke on in life and walk with a limp. See, when you encounter God for who he really is, you ultimately come to grips with who you really are. You can't help it. The only response is, oh God, oh my God, and you mean it. It's not like... Some flippant thing. You go, oh, God. A.W. Tozer said this. I love this quote. He said, Until we have seen ourselves as God sees us, we're not likely to be much disturbed over conditions around us, as long as they do not get so far out of hand as to threaten our comfortable way of life. We have learned to live with unholiness and have come to look upon it as a natural Unexpected thing. See, in encountering God, getting connected to the source, we have to look up and see God for who he is and then respond. You have to respond to who he is, just as I would I, in a wild line, I would respond and look in who I am. And Isaiah utters this powerful confession. Woe is me. Literally, I'm as good as dead. I'm ruined. Why? For I'm a man of unclean lips. You say, man, if you knew the words that came out of my mouth, if you knew what I said behind your back, If you knew the issues that were coming out and how, you know, in the South, I grew up there, not really, but I lived there. I was born in Texas for nine years. I don't know why I'm giving you all this background now, Um, but nine years and then grew up in Santa Cruz and lived in Georgia for three, so I got, I'm weird, I'm all messed up, but in the South, they say words like this, bless your heart. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. Nobody's blessing anyone's heart you know what it means? Oh, you're dumb as a stick. That's what it means. Bless your heart means you're dumb as a stick. Bless your dumb little stick heart. That's what it means. For my, from a man of unclean lips, I may say one thing, but I mean another. You may think I'm kind, but really you don't know because Jesus said, "Out of overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks." It's always a heart issue. He says, "Here's why I'm in the presence of the King, and I can't help respond. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Confession is powerful. We've lost it today. We compare. We compare with one another, but we don't want to confess, because it means admitting and owning your own junk. It means saying, yes, the holiness of God is going to reveal some areas in my life, and it's uncomfortable. And so people walk around with guilt. People walk around with shame. People walk around heavy loaded, longing for healing, and praying and wondering why God's not answering their prayer, and yet they've never stopped to encounter God and not ask God to adjust to them, but adjust to God and confess. Here am I. Here's the broken areas. Own up to your junk. Confess. Man, those words, God. That attitude, jealousy and bitterness, anger, you know that all the things you're thinking about your ex or your boss. Confess that lust has taken over your world. James, the brother of Jesus, would say this that we'd confess our sins to one another that we might be anybody? Know it? Healed. That for some, you're not experiencing healing because you're concealing. And God says confession breaks chains in your life and brings about healing. John, the beloved disciple in 1 John 1.9 would say it this way, that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness that it brings healing and it brings wholeness. And then for some this morning, the invitation is you walked in heavy and you can walk out whole because you encountered the king and you responded to him and you said, oh God, oh God, in light of who you are, I get who I am and it's not pretty. And by the way, confession positions us to experience the grace of God. You notice what happened next? Isaiah got smoted. Just, <laughs> God's like, yeah, you suck. <laughs> Thank you very much. Goodbye. No, sorry. I couldn't, that wasn't even, I didn't write that out. I just, it happened in the moment there. I apologize for that. <laughs> Stick to the part you wrote, Ingram. Okay. Says, then one of the seraphs flew to the altar. The altar was the place where the substitute sacrifice, where, where a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb would be brought and sacrificed in place for the sins of the people. The ultimate altar was the place of atonement, the place of reconciliation, the place where God's justice and mercy met the altar. And it says one of the angels flew to the altar and grabbed one of the coals and touched his lips. And said, see, this has touched your lips. Your sin is atoned for and your guilt is taken away. Confession. When we finally begin to adjust our lives to God, when we stop pretending and acting like somehow we can approach God like in a zoo behind a glass wall and just see him out there and want him to do stuff but never be moved by him, when we finally go, you are God and there's no other, and I am going to get really low because you're God, because you're holy. It is in that place, in that moment, that you experience the healing, the wholeness, the power of God. You experience his grace. Now, I, I want to try to close this with something that's been blowing my mind. And I'm not sure if it's going to blow your mind. <laughs> so just pretend like it does, okay? Okay. Because in the gospel, there's this great juxtaposition that Jesus is both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. In Revelations 5, and in fact, could go later and read the whole chapter, amazing speaking of Jesus and declaring him to be this lion, the lion of Judah. And yet at the same time, he's the very lamb of God, the perfect spotless lamb that what the altar foreshadowed and looked forward to, Jesus fulfilled on the cross, that he was the fulfillment of sacrifice, the fulfillment of the substitutionary sacrifice for us to experience freedom and peace and wholeness. Now, now here's what's been blowing my mind, if you will. John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, in his gospel writes this, that Isaiah said this, and he had just quoted Isaiah. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Now, check this out. Isaiah's encounter with God, he saw the pre-incarnate Christ, He saw Jesus. When Isaiah saw God, he was looking at Jesus. Okay, see, you're still not with me. Okay, okay. Figure out how to get through this, and I hope, mind bomb. He saw the king seated on a throne. He saw the lion of Judah. He saw God in all his glory and majesty. I think one of the things that unfortunately we've done is we've traded the king of glory and a high theology of God with buddy theology. Buddy theology says that, you know, Jesus is my BFF. He's my homeboy, right? No, no Don't get me wrong. Jesus said that, He now calls us friend. It's true. But somehow we've gotten so flippant. We've pulled Jesus into, hey, Jesus, you you just kind of do a few things with me, and you travel with me, and you do this, like, what's up? It's cool, Jesus. And yet Isaiah says, he said these things. Why? Because he saw Jesus. Jesus. And for some, even this whole idea of encountering God is is like, you're a little pessimistic about it. Like, I'm not going to have an encounter like that before. And if you want to see God, what the New Testament, what the gospel writers tell us is, look to Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, look to Jesus. If you want to encounter God, call upon Jesus. That he is the king the world of the universe, the Lion of Judah. And then Isaiah writes a little bit later in Isaiah 53 about a suffering servant that would come. One that would be the substitution uh, that would bring peace between man and God. That would pay all the brokenness and all the shame and all the wrong and all the things that kept us far from God. That looks forward to the ultimate Lamb of God. He writes this Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us his turn. To our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here's what's been blowing my mind, and I I, I take it for what it is. Isaiah has this encounter with God where he looks up and sees God for who he is in all of his glory, and he can't help respond in the midst of seeing a lion in the wild, the lion of Judah and yet in his confession the angels fly over to the altar that foreshadowed the ultimate sacrifice of the lamb of god and just think about that moment for jesus so i just just put yourself in Jesus' place as he's sitting there high and holy and watching the angel go to the altar and realizing that's looking forward to what I'm gonna do. That the lion is gonna step down into space, time, and history and become the lamb of God and be the ultimate sacrifice. That the king, the king eternal is ultimately gonna be crucified on a cross for the ones he created. And if that doesn't blow your mind and if that doesn't get you like, whoa, I don't know what will, because until, by the way, friends, until, until you sit with the weight of God's glory, you will not rightly appreciate the worth of his grace. See, it is in his immensity that we find just how precious his intimacy is. When you look up and you see God for who he is. And then you look in and you call out. And that same God says, I take your place. That's where you encounter God. I've been uh, reading the Narnia books with my kids. We were doing it last night. In fact, it was a lot of fun. And in it, C.S. Lewis depicts Jesus as Aslan. And one of my all-time favorite lines in the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, is where Lucy's, and they're on their journey to go see uh, Aslan and see if he can somehow fix the whole problem. And he's with Mr. Beaver, remember this? Yeah. And, and so Lucy talks to Mr. Beaver and says, Aslan is a lion, yeah, yeah. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver looks at Lucy and says, oh, no. No, he is not safe. But he is good. And he is king. Invitation this morning, and band, you can come on up, and we're going to close with worship. Is for some this morning, you have never looked up to see God for who he is. You have sought to have control. And so as a result, you have not encountered God. And as we sing and worship, I would invite you just simply to go, God, I want to meet with you as you are. Speak to me. Show me. And whatever you show me, I'll respond. For others, you don't even know Jesus. You've never stepped into a relationship. And and you just simply need to call upon the name of Jesus, the King who became the Lamb of God for you and crucified, that you might have a relationship with the God of the universe, that you might experience peace and wholeness and life, and you simply call on his name and go, I don't get it all, but this Jesus not only died for you but came back to life, that you and I might have life. And you say, would you come into my life and make me new? I'm just going to trade. I give you my life. Would you give me a new life in return? And for others, when I talked about confession, you knew exactly what needed to be confessed. In fact, you even kind of checked out just a little bit because it was too convicting. (laughs) And where you simply go, okay, God, here I am. That issue, the heart, I'm I'm ready. You're God. I'm going to stop asking you to adjust me. I'm going to adjust to you. And it might be you need to talk to someone afterwards, talk to your spouse, talk to a friend. It might be during this season and the prayer team's going to be over to the side that you just need prayer. They go, okay, here's where I'm at, and I'm going to go and pray and cry out and talk to someone about this. But let us not leave until we've looked up and seen God for who he is and then respond and say, oh, God, and it's in that place you'll experience